Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Curlbro, and I support Gen X Grown Up on Patreon, and you should too. And if you don't, I hope you leave enough room for my fists, because I'm going to ram it in your stomach and break your spine. Just go to genxgrownup.com slash Patreon to sign up today. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listener, to another Backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. The Backtrack is where we take a single nostalgic topic we all remember growing up as Gen Xers and dig in deep. I am John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. And of course, George is here with us. Hey, how's it going, guys? If you were a kid in the 70s or 80s, like us, and you ever built a little ramp in your backyard so you could do bicycle stunts, <laughs> odds are pretty good you were inspired by the king of the daredevil stuntmen. In this backtrack, we are taking an in-depth look at the life, career, and legacy of self-made, death-defying superstar, the one and only Evil Knievel. <laughs> wow. We have had listeners who have definitely written in multiple times saying, when are you going to talk about Evil Knievel? What about my stunt cycle? What yeah. about the daredevil? And it, we finally got in there. It's on our agenda. <laughs> Before we get into talking all about Evil Knievel, though, it is time for one of our favorite parts of the show. That is fourth listener email. And this time around, longtime, longtime listener, Chad. Oh, hey, Chad. In. Wow. Yeah. Uh, subject line of his email is from our most recent backtrack, sequels better than the originals that we mm-hmm. just did. Tons of feedback over a Discord about that one, too. I think yeah. that's another one that really uh, resonated. We had to give up definitions of sequels, even. Yeah. <laughs> sequels right, doesn't yeah. necessarily mean the second film. That's right. right. Could be just any follow-up. Yeah, right? Right. Yeah. People splitting hairs and disagreeing, and that's good. That's what we're that's here good, for. Good, good topic for discussion, right? We like it. Yep. Friendly debate. So, Chad uh, listened to that episode, and he wrote in to say, no mention of the Empire Strikes Back? Oh, man. Chad, you're dead to me. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> you're dead wow. to me. Wow. Goodness. Come on. That was quick. It's, 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 that went from zero oh, to a hundred. That's right. It, didn't it? You were my favorite. Now you're not. No, I get it. Oh, boy. A lot of people have that opinion. I think you're all wrong, but I understand and the opinion is out there. Yeah. Wow. Well, we, we did have that in a debate. Yeah, we debate. Actually, we talked about it. You know, and Chad even says, I mean, I know it's been talked about ad nauseum, but still, he felt the Empire <laughs> deserved a spot on the list. I, I agree with Chad. Yeah, I, I know you Empire's do. Empire's the yeah, better I know. film. Yeah, uh-huh. Took me a while to get over that. I'm just getting over it. <laughs> that would have been the one that we would not have all agreed upon. As yeah, quite that's evident. true. Yeah. <laughs> he goes on to say, as far as music formats go, I started with cassettes. For the most part, I did have one of those Fisher Price turntables when I was little. <laughs> that doesn't it count. Only played 45s, doesn't get no. anything right. But yeah, he said, when I really started getting into music as a teenager, cassettes were my main format. My grandfather bought my aunt an $800 CD player. Wow. She played me money from Pink Floyd. Oh. Dark Side of the Moon. I was blown away with the cash registers and everything. It just sounded so crystal clear. It was amazing. I can still picture standing in her room listening 
to that all these years later. Yep. I had a very similar experience. I mean, that album in particular just sounded so amazing on CD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Clean, Dark Side of the Moon, anything mm-hmm. like that. Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah, Led Zeppelin. I remember Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had that album. That that sounded good on CD. I'm like, yeah. wow, is this what it could be? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he goes on to say, when the Discman and its no-skip technology came along, I could plug it in my car via that fake cassette. Which I'm still amazed <laughs> at how that worked. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really started collecting music. Of course, now I only buy vinyl and the occasional cassette, but CD was a major touchstone in my life. Not that I'm alone there, for sure. You definitely are not. Nope. He wraps it up by saying, may the fourth listener be with you, Chad. Cool. Thanks, Chad. Thank you, Chad. Hey, we appreciate you writing in, Chad. We love it every time the fourth listener writes in. If you'd like your email featured here on the show, it's easy. Just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. Read every single one, and most of them, like Chad's, are going to make the show. All right. We get back from the break. We are jumping into the life and times of stuntman Evil Knievel. Stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show, too. It helps more than you know. The Evil Knievel, starring George Hamilton and Sue Lyon. Well, I do two pickup trucks in the end. That's 40 feet, boy. That's right. See Evil's most spectacular jump at Caesar's Palace. Hold it. Don't miss Evil Knievel. It's dynamite. Evil Knievel, rated GP. Now playing at the Uptown Theater, 3426 Connecticut Avenue Northwest. It is finally time. If you have been writing and asking us to talk about Evil Knievel, your day is here. It's time on the backtrack. <laughs> and Evil Knievel, of course, that was his show name. We're talking about Robert Craig Knievel. I still believe Knievel was his actual last name. That still blows me away, too. Right. If you had to guess which of those was his real name. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why would you have thought Evil was his real name over Knievel, though? I mean, that's, that's not even close to anybody's real name. It just seems so unlikely that either of those are real names, actually. Not that you mentioned <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) He would have been 83 years old right around this time. His birthday was October 17th, born in 1938. So we thought here celebrating his birthday, it was a great time to talk about Evil Knievel. Uh, And we all, in preparation for this backtrack, learned a lot about the man that we didn't already know. But before we get into any of that, I want to start with a round robin question. When we all knew Evil Knievel first and best, like around toward the end of his career, like in 1980, we were all kids. I want to know your perception of the man. How did you think of him? How did you relate to his kind of his his fandom and his legacy? I'd like to start with you, George. What did you think of Evil Knievel as a kid? And when I was a kid, I mean, I just thought he was like this crazy guy who jumped big buses and jumped over stuff on his motorcycle. And then very quickly, his uh, most famous toy, the little stunt cycle thing came out and <laughs> every kid at my school and neighborhood yep. wanted one. I never got one. I don't think any of my friends ever got one. We all wanted one. But yeah, I mean, I just knew him, I guess I'd say more as a toy than as a real person. Mm, yeah. 
So just like his the, the figure of who he was rather than who he was. Right. It, well, very similar for me, I think, which was I didn't know much about him. I remember my dad loved to watch the wide world of sports and he was on there many times. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I see stock footage and I'm like, I remember watching that on TV. Mm-hmm. I, I do. Even though I didn't I wasn't paying attention to the news. I didn't know what he was planning to do or what was coming up next for him. But when I saw him, I knew I was in for something that I had would not see anyone else do because he was this he was crazy. Like he was doing things that <laughs> obviously seemed like he was going to die and yet it never killed him somehow. So I just yeah, I just saw him as <laughs> I wouldn't say a hero, but he was definitely larger than life. It was a character. Sure. He was huge. What about you, Mo? Yeah, for me, I guess I always I don't know, I just always imagined that his home life was like him and his whole family riding around on motorcycles jumping things all the time. You know, it's almost <laughs> like not like a real person, you know what I mean? Like, like the partridge family of stunts. <laughs> exactly. Because like he, I think like you said George like he was almost like not a real person. I, and I think that's what he, the image he was trying to convey, right? That he's bigger than life and all that stuff. And yeah. definitely as a kid, I was like, wow, like if he, you know, I never actually met him in person, but if he like knew he was somebody who's nearby, I'm sure like we were a flock there and when his autograph and everything else. I mean, he was like a pretty major celebrity. Well, yeah, I mean, a real person would die from the things <laughs> exactly. he was doing. That's yeah. what I thought at that point, because nobody did the stuff that he did mm-hmm. before we saw him do it, or at least before I saw him do it. So to me, he was almost... Yes, he was that toy that, you know, when you're a kid, your toy is indestructible and you can jump it over things and throw it into a wall and it Mm -hmm. pops back up and you're like, oh, he's still alive, you know, and you're happy about your character. But I saw him that way, almost like he was a modern superhero, Mm -hmm. you know, like a Superman or a Spider-Man or something along those lines. And then he had the flamboyant outfits that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Mm -hmm. And even at one point started wearing a damn cape. So I (laughs) thought he was a superhero. (laughs) That's the point. Yeah. Well, he did live to the ripe old age of 69. Not that old by today's standards. Uh, He passed away in 2007. They say it's not the years, it's the mileage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Literally and figuratively (laughs) for this guy. No kidding. No kidding. It's worth noting that he didn't die from any injury or complication of old injuries. He died of historically old age diseases, diabetes and pulmonary fibrosis, mm-hmm. old age diseases. Now, he wasn't that old. He clearly had been he Rode had hard. put his body through hell. <laughs> I would bet his lifestyle contributed to those oh, diseases oh, yeah. grabbing him a oh, lot yeah. earlier than you should oh, have. Sure. Oh, yeah. You talk about like this whole like superhero bigger than life thing. To me, that was one of the things like how he always, no matter how he got injured, he always came back. Like it seemed like it didn't affect him hardly. Right. Yeah. Broken back, broken ribs, yeah. broken legs. Oh, and, yeah. And like yeah. a week later, he'd be on the news like on a talk show Mm -hmm. or something. And you're like, wait a minute, did he just break his hip or did he like fracture something? Well, and yeah, and you're talking about the 70s at this point, right? The Mm -hmm. 60s, 70s. So people didn't heal from those kind of injuries as quickly as they might now, thanks to modern medicine. I mean, before you broke your leg in the 70s, your shit was done for six months. That (laughs) was it. you think, right? But this guy, you're right, Mo, he would, it was like, he was on Wide World of Sports. Mm -hmm. He would crash this horrific, horrible crash that you knew he was just dead, but he survived somehow. And you're like, okay, we won't see him until like the 80s. But no, he would come back like a week later, two weeks later, and he'd be on the show, maybe with his little cane or or something, or maybe a neck brace around his neck. (laughs) On Carson. And he'd be talking to whoever he was going to talk to and setting up the next thing he was going to do. And that could only have contributed to that perception that he's a superhero. I mean, a normal Mm -hmm. person would me on TV the next week. He'd be one of those 
full body cast with the, the pulleys and everything right. in the bed. That's where he ought to be, right? <laughs> well, they say that during his career, he could have suffered as many as 433 fractures. Jeez. In the Guinness Book of World Record, that's he's in there for most bones broken, survivor of most bones oh, broken okay. in a lifetime. <laughs> that, I hope that's they're a, not that's like, important distinction. like taking new entries for that record, though. I hope <laughs> they've closed that category down because that would Let's lend hope. some yeah. crazy person to try and, oh, I'm going to break 444 bones. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's rumored that that could be an exaggerated number. In fact, his son, Robbie Knievel, told a reporter later that his father broke between 40 and 50 bones. And at one time, Evil Knievel said it was around 35, which sounds pretty low to me. I think that sounds a little low end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds low for his activities, but it's not low for a human. No, 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 no not exactly, for a person. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if I break one, I'm a baby. 35 yeah. is the end of me. Yeah, exactly. Right. Probably out of the three of us, I would venture to guess that I may have broken more bones than either of you two. I, I have zero, so you definitely broke more than me. I've broken each one of my fingers <laughs> twice. I've broken my arms, my legs. I've broken a rib. I've cracked three vertebrae in my back. So Holy I've, crap. I've had some broken bones. Well, you're, are you in Guinness? Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, 432. He's one below evil. Sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> Every one of those breaks, though, they would really hurt. And that's a lot of pain to go through. And even something as simple as breaking a finger. That's some painful yeah, shit. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this guy would get back up and ride a motorcycle, which is you're, all the vibrations yeah. going mm-hmm. through your body with a broken bone. No, bullshit. I'm not yeah. doing that. <laughs> One thing about his early life, he created this event, this persona, this whole thing himself. Like nothing like this ever existed before him. He created the death defying stunt. You could yeah. say all the X games came exactly. out of Evil Knievel. All this extreme, extreme sports, sports of any kind right. wasn't really a thing. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he made it into a spectacle and he could turn up the jump, which lasts all of what, five seconds, maybe, into a two-hour thing where mm-hmm. everybody's there and the oh, news yeah. people are speculating. Because he gets and, up and gives a speech and then he yeah. runs up the ramp three or four yep, times he runs like he's up, judging he it, which was all bullshit. Oh, yeah. He wasn't judging anything. He's, he's done all, the yeah. math already. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, he didn't even do the math. He That's, didn't even do the math. We watched the documentary and he was like, it was all gut feeling. Yeah. Like, Nowadays, if you're going to do a stunt like that, they've got like physics people oh, on yeah. the sideline who are calculating your <laughs> optimal velocity and takeoff and angle. They probably put an X on the ramp and say, hey, you're going to land exactly there. You know? This guy just like, all right, let's put together some wood <laughs> and I think I'm going to land about there. So put some right. dirt over there and <laughs> we'll see what happens. It was like us in our side yard when you were building yeah, a little ramp yep, for your yeah. bicycle and your friends. It was the same kind of thing. With ramp's done. You guys all laid down there. I'm sure it'll work. It's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> what could go wrong? Right. <laughs> well, we were making fun of his name. Which one was a real name? Evil or Knievel? He, his genuine last name was Knievel. Mm-hmm. But let's talk a little bit about where he actually got that nickname Evil. It had to do with the, uh, he was a bit of a rapscallion as a youngster. <laughs> That's where you're putting oh, it. He was, a, he was a fucking criminal. That's what he got to do. <laughs> Let's try to be nice. to it. <laughs> so we all did some research for this and he was a arch criminal as a young person. That's all there is to it. I mean, he grew up in Butte, Montana. Mm -hmm. Butte, Montana was known that people lived poor, hard, everyday working man lives. And he just, he wanted money. He wanted fame. And the only way to get that was doing some illegal stuff. So he ends up in jail one night, Mo, right? And he's in jail with (laughs) another guy who's a similar (laughs) and the policeman decided to have a little bit of fun. Yeah. Apparently he was in jail for stealing a motorcycle. Go figure. Mm, Right. Makes sense. (laughs) Checks out. And then he crashed it and then he was taken to jail. 
And they said the jailer liked to give people nicknames. And the person he was in uh, with was like William Knopfel. So they called him Awful Knopfel. Right. Yeah. Uh Oh, here we go. And then Knievel. Oh, evil Knievel, you know, which makes sense. I mean, it does rhyme. (laughs) So we've got Awful Knopfel and Evil Knievel in the jail tonight. In the jail tonight. (laughs) And after Evil Knievel crashed a motorcycle, which is just, we know that was foretelling of his future. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that lines up. (laughs) But he didn't spell it the way you traditionally spell the word Mm -mm. evil, even though that's what the jailer gave him the nickname with he spelled it the same way his last name the last four letters of his last name Knievel E-V-E-L right. he spelled evil that same way so that's where the rhyming really <laughs> takes forth and apparently he did it because he didn't want to seem too evil to right. the fans. <laughs> too scary. I'm like, too demonic, is anybody right? going to n- <laughs> right. notice the difference of that? They're going to say the word. They're not going to notice that the mm-hmm. E and the I are different. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, are you Satan? No, no, it's pronounced Satan. No, no, no. <laughs> right. Nothing. Not a big deal. <laughs> you got to check the spelling to see what you, whether you're evil or not. <laughs> but also, I know his early life, he was a, a talker, right? Because mm-hmm. he worked as a salesman for a while, was super successful. And basically, I think he told the guy that he'll break all the records if the guy promised him like this big promotion and the guy wouldn't agree yeah, wouldn't to it. Yeah, wasn't it an insurance company or something? Yeah. Like he, he mm-hmm. sold insurance and he went to like a psych ward or something like that, some a psychiatry hospital and sold like 200 plus policies in one day. Yeah. I'm like, oh, of course you sold 200 <laughs> insurance policies in a psych ward in yeah. one day. <laughs> oh, smart, right? And then the guy wouldn't promise him that. So he's like, oh, well, he quit. And then I think after that, he started doing the whole motorcycle thing. It was always about trying to expand his sphere of notoriety. He started off with a group of people doing Mm -hmm. stunts Mm -hmm. at one Mm -hmm. point. That didn't work out business-wise, so then he decided to do it on his own because it was more economical and he could make promises and keep all the money to himself because, as we know, the man was a criminal, like we were saying. (laughs) So even when he had that group of people, like some of the last stunts they all did together, he just took the money and ran. He didn't (laughs) give them anything. This was not a good person when he was first starting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And those stunts are really, that's when he came into his own. And that's when we started to know him as a public figure. So when we get back from this break, we're going to dive into the origin of his career and talk about those stunts. Stick around. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. Okay, partner. I get scared to die. Like, do I ever get scared of thinking about dying? Yeah. Well, I do. I get concerned, you might say. I don't get scared. I don't want to die because I have uh, two little boys that remind me of you and a, and a little girl. The smaller than you are. And I don't want to die and leave their mommy and leave them. But I... Uh, am convicted to do this thing because I want to do it. 
I don't think anybody knows Evil Knievel for anything other than stunts. So there's no way we're <laughs> going to do this podcast without having an entire section <laughs> yeah. on the stunts that he accomplished or at least attempted to accomplish throughout his career. And this guy started in 1965, which was before any of us were born. Mo, you were born 67, yep, right? Yep, correct. So he was doing stunts before we were born, but he started getting super, super popular right around the beginning of the 70s the late 60s the mm-hmm. early 70s it's when john you mentioned earlier the abc wild world of sports he just started calling those guys up and <laughs> pretending to be different people have you heard of evil knievel have you heard of evil knievel <laughs> hey have you heard of evil knievel <laughs> you know and just building himself up but the one thing that gets me that i didn't think about i didn't yeah i was a kid who knows right but he did 90% of his stunts on heavy bikes, oh, like yeah. Harley Davidson. Like street bikes. Yeah. 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 Whereas the kids that do the X Games and yeah. all the big 500 foot jumps and flip 40 million times or whatever in the air, they're doing them on the smaller. They're like finely tuned. Uh, like the uh, Kawasaki's or the Honda, you know, the, yeah. the smaller bikes with more power. Mm-hmm. Lighter. Yeah. Lighter bikes. Right. Exactly. Him doing these stunts that he did on these heavy bikes is a large part of the reason why his stunts were so epic and sometimes epic failures. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those bikes are not designed to go airborne and then hit the ground <laughs> with that kind of impact. Yeah. Mm. That's why they would break the back of the bike. And yep. later he picked up another bike. He didn't do the math. Like you said, he's like, right. oh, this bike works. It's got a motor. Let's <laughs> yeah. give it a shot. <laughs> right. Can I get to 100 miles an hour? <laughs> yeah, that's like yep. he cared about. That's right. And he always promoted that Harley Davidson brand. Yeah, when yeah. He would, they were a sponsor, I think. He would say, I'd like to thank Harley Davidson for always providing me the bikes and supporting <laughs> me throughout mm-hmm. all my jumps. So he was... He wasn't a great guy, as we talked about personally, but he was loyal to his sponsors and the people that helped him to make money. Oh, yeah. And he was a shrewd self-promoter. Oh, yeah, Mm. very much so. Nefariously self-promoting often, but he was shrewd. He absolutely Mm -hmm. knew how to work the system. The course of his career, that was like, what, 15 years? Yeah, 65 to 80 was his performing career. He made over 75 ramp jumps between Mm. bikes and rocket sleds that we'll talk about later and other (laughs) stuff. Of those, 19 resulted in injury. Yeah, I'm surprised that number's not higher. Honestly. That's not a great ratio. <laughs> but still, I, I expected that number to be like 45 out of yeah, 75. Right? He broke something. Or, yeah. Because you ever see his landings. We're going to talk about some of his yeah. stunts specifically, but there's one landing in particular that we're going to talk about the stunt in a little while. And I remember as a kid seeing that stunt on TV with my father, who after watching the documentary that we watched, I've decided that my father very easily would have been evil Knievel had he been into motorcycles instead of pool playing. Those two guys <laughs> were the same kind of hustling salesmen, self-promotion people that could make you believe in any fact they mm-hmm. thought was real. Mm-hmm. Oh my hustler goodness. Hustler is the the perfect term. That was the term yeah. I was looking for before. He was definitely a hustler. Oh yeah, for sure. He talk about some of his stunts. His very first one that McKen was credit him with was uh he would jump over boxes of rattlesnakes and he did like <laughs> mountain lions and that was because right. he worked at a motorcycle garage and he said hey he convinced the owner that if we do these stunts in front of the garage it'll drum up business yeah yeah again hustler yeah he would jump <laughs> right. over just random things and of course this is a small town everyone's gonna go watch that because what else is there to do and what do you have plenty of in montana rattlesnakes and mountain yep. lions apparently because that's something <laughs> i mean what else are you gonna jump over i guess it's not you know he's not happy days with the fawns jumping over a shark tank or something yeah, else, really. but, although he no. did have a shark 
stunt later, but we'll talk about that of later. Of course he did. Did he do it? Of course he did. <laughs> wow. So, well, he didn't actually do it, but yeah, there was a planned one. His first one was just like a 20-foot jump there yeah. at the motorcycle place, right? It was not a big deal. But 20 feet, if I was there and saw a motorcycle, that especially that size motorcycle, go 20 feet, I think I'd be like, wow. Oh, still impressive. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not minimizing well, it. Yeah, yeah, because nobody was doing that at that point. That's like, right. Motorcycles were designed to be ridden around. Mm-hmm. Nobody mm-hmm. thought about jumping those things before he really did that yep. on a big scale. You probably avoid jumps, right? <laughs> yeah. His next recorded jump was a year later in 66 in California, and he jumped two pickup trucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's moving up. And th- that was actually the first time he used the moniker Evil Knievel. Prior right. to that, he was just, hey, here's this guy, and he wasn't really setting up a, a persona for himself. Here's Rattlesnake Mountain Lion right. jumping guy. guy. <laughs> here's yeah. Rattlesnake Robert Craig, you know, just making <laughs> stuff up, right? But now he's stepping it up and creating that brand. Yeah. Well, also, I think it was the sponsor for that jump also didn't like Robert Knievel. He's like, what else he got? Yeah. How about Evil Knievel? He's like, oh, that's it. But with an E, because I'm not that evil. I had a jailer name me that. How about that? Sounds great. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and that brings us, George, I think to the one you were alluding to is that one I think everybody saw. Now, not all, we didn't all see it live because this happened in 67. Right. But this is the jumping the fountains at Caesar's Palace. Yep. Right. And that's the one that, uh, you know, he did one of those PR stunts again, where he's calling the people at Caesars as other people to yeah. try and like get himself and stuff. permission to jump over the fountains, you know. And he started advertising to broadcasters that he was going to jump the fountains before he got permission mm-hmm. to jump the fountains. Right. Yeah. And then he started, he made a fake company and started calling Caesars, mispronouncing his own no name. name. <laughs> right. Hey, have you heard about this like devil, bedevil guy or something? Evil, he's supposed Evil to jump or whatever. Yeah. And he drummed up his own demand. And then when he showed up and said, I'm Evil Knievel, they're like, well, we need you because everybody wants to see you. Yeah, that was pretty brilliant. That's pure hustler yeah, right there. And yep. to do the little subtle things in that hustle for believability, mispronouncing your own name, oh, yeah. having a corporation and everything, and evil genius. getting all the media <laughs> to be the people to demand him to be able to do the jump, mm-hmm. it's just mind-boggling. You don't see that kind of marketing now <laughs> unless it's done by a PR firm. And they all think they're clever. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this son bitch was doing it in the late 60s. <laughs> yeah. With just a phone. You guys got nothing over evil <laughs> Knievel. And he got it all set up. He does the jump. And I remember watching, not at the time, because I wasn't born in 67, but I remember seeing replays of it with my father later on when I was a young kid. And that one clip that everybody talks about, the landing, where Mm -hmm. it's the camera's face on of his landing. And he hits that landing ramp and the bike literally is just (laughs) ripped out of his hands from the impact and the velocity. And then he goes tumbling over the handlebars. He goes tumbling over it forwards and he's just a rag doll as he slides across the pavement and everything. They always had on Why World of Sports Agony of Defeat, and it was the skier that would oh, fall ski out. jump out. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I always thought it should have been Evil Can Evil mm-hmm. instead. Yeah, really. That was the agony of defeat if you saw anything. I mean, that was a horrific crash. It was. It was terrible. Almost all of these things I found YouTube clips for, so they'll all be in the show notes if people want to see the. <laughs> oh, excellent. I mean, yeah. you say he's a hustler, but at the end, though, I mean, he did try to do the jump. It was like he took the money and run. Well, hustler doesn't mean you don't follow through necessarily. Right. Just, hustler yeah. just means that 
you talk people into something they didn't know they wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then are not mad that they paid for it afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. He's not a fraud. He's just a hustler. Yeah, right. for sure. You know, George, you talk about that footage of him tumbling over the handlebars. Mm-hmm. Actually, Evil wanted to ha- record a documentary of his jump over the fountain. So he hired a young filmmaker, John Derrick, to film it. One of the people holding a camera was his wife, Linda Evans. She is the woman holding the camera. Linda Evans, the actress? The actress, Linda Evans, is wow. the person holding the camera of that landing. Yep. That's so famous. That's crazy. Ouch. <laughs> and after that crash, I would say that cemented Evil Knievel's mm-hmm. career. From then on, he was stratospheric. He was incredible. Yeah. Everyone seemed crash again. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's. I mean, it's the same, you know, mentality of watching NASCAR events. Do you watch it for guys to drive around on a right-hand turn for Man. 500 miles? No. You watch it to see the spectacular crash, and that's what most mm-hmm. people go to a NASCAR mm-hmm. event for. But Evil Knievel was doing that at the same time, but on an individual basis. And you're right. You put that on TV. That's compelling. Yeah. When you're driving down the highway and you can't turn your head away from the horrible accident that you see on the side of the road. It's the same type of feeling that you get when you see Evil Knievel getting ripped off of that motorcycle and tumbling feet overhead into the pavement. It's brutal. It's the danger. We want him to succeed, but we know there's a chance we might watch him die. (laughs) A better than average chance with this guy. Yeah, there's there's a shot. We might see that, so it makes a spectacle. After that Caesars one, I mean, he had he was in a hospital for almost a month. Which should have been almost a year. Right. But we say almost a month because it's Evil Knievel. They talk in that documentary. (laughs) He apparently had some kind of crazy pain threshold that he could get up and keep going even after these horrible accidents. But they said he had broken ribs, he had a broken hip, and his other side of the hip was crushed. Mm. Which, nothing about that sounds fun. Crushed. I mean, ribs alone. Have you ever had a broken rib? I'm telling you. I've had a a cracked rib and I was on my back for a week. (laughs) That's not, you just breathe and it's like every movement Mm -hmm. hurts. Yep. Mm. But here's the thing that just blew me away. His next jump was May the following year. Holy hell. <laughs> Five months later, he jumps again, crashes, by the way, breaks his leg and fractures his foot. He doesn't want anybody to forget about him, right? Yeah, he's like, exactly. oh, so we, watched, we watched that guy. He crashed. I guess that's over. Oh, no, no. He gets right back up, gets back on the horse, right? Then he did it again in August. I, mean, I was like, <laughs> what the Lord. hell? Bananas. <laughs> he did make it after that, though. He didn't crash for, after that one. Well, that's so good. He was okay. <laughs> well, let's see. So fast forward a little bit. We got to 1971. That's when he did the... The uh, Madison Square Garden jump over nine cars and a van. Mm. Yeah. Yep. That was also televised. I think that was one of the ones in the Wild World of Sports. It was a lot of build up to it because it's also New York now. You know, ooh, big mm-hmm. time. So the Caesars Palace wasn't televised? No, he was recording no. a documentary for it later. It wasn't live. Oh, because yeah. yeah. I only saw replays right. later yeah. on. Yeah. Like I said, okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. The one in Madison Square Garden was nine cars, right? Which eh, that seems far, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then he went from nine to he tried to do 15 cars in 72. That seems like a big jump. And apparently it was a big jump because he crashed. Well, the average car is what, four and a half or five feet wide at that point? At least five, right? five probably closer to six back then. I mean, those are wide cars. Okay. So let's let's go with five for easy math. Yeah. So it's 75 feet if you yeah. did them width wise and 
tightened really close together plus the ramp so maybe 80 feet yeah on yeah. a damn harley are mm-hmm. you kidding me yeah right that's just the car there's the acceleration there's the up and there's the down there's the down <laughs> and there's that landing oh yeah yeah and that one i say he broke his ankle oh. he got up and walked off with freaking broken ankle <laughs> unbelievable we see athletes doing that kind of stuff yeah, too and there's adrenaline yeah. and things of that nature but athletes like they break one bone and they get up walk off and then they're on the injured reserve list for like six <laughs> yeah. months mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they come back the next season. This guy breaks his ribs, breaks legs, breaks arms, whatever else, crushes hips. And then five months later, he's up jumping again yeah. and breaking something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It keeps going. Mind numbingly. <laughs> See, in 73 at the uh, Los Angeles Col- Coliseum, he jumped 50 crushed cars in a pile. Yeah. So they weren't as wide, but 50, so that's height higher, yeah. and width of these old crush cars. Mm. That jump was the longest one and lasted 35 years as the world yeah. record, the longest, furthest, highest jump. What always got me about his jumps, the thing that as a kid just for me was when he would do these ones in these stadiums, there were several of them where he would start at the top of the stadium oh, yeah. on this really narrow ramp and he would go <laughs> down and then back up to the jump. And that narrow ass ramp as a kid, I always wondered, just make yeah. the ramp wider. What the hell <laughs> yeah. are you thinking? Why is it so narrow? Right. How do you never fall off of that? I mean, yeah, exactly. Right. That's just pretty that dangerous. was an accomplishment. Yeah. No kidding. I remember that camera view from like behind his head, looking down the ramp, you know, that they always did. It looked a mile down. It looks yeah, tremendous. It looks like a ski jump. I mean, it just yeah. looks like oh, yeah. the worst roller coaster scare you could ever imagine, <laughs> right? Oh. oh, man. Actually, after that one, I think it was when the Snake Canyon came in. Oh, yeah. Snake Canyon is, is a kind of a signature thing in his career. We're going to give yeah. it a whole segment. But there, there was a one real notable one right after that was kind of his comeback from Snake Canyon. Mm-hmm. And that was that Wembley Stadium. He went to yeah. the UK. Stuntmen were not a thing over there at all. Yeah. You know? Let's find a new audience. We're going to talk about it, but he had had some bad experiences with the Snake Canyon right. stunt. Oh, yeah. Right. And so he was trying to revive himself a little bit, putting himself in front of a new audience. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he tries to go, what, 13 buses? That's right. Because yeah. we're in England. We got to do the buses. But he did do it in Wembley Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an iconic stadium for that area. Of course, yeah. Oh, yeah. When he went there, like the ticket sales were kind of lagging. And of course, he got a motorcycle, started driving around London and all the cities promoting himself. And they Hustler. had 90,000 yeah. people show up. Jesus. <laughs> well, that's what he did. Remember in that movie in Los Angeles when nobody knew who he was, he was driving up and down Sunset Boulevard doing wheelies mm-hmm. right in front of the restaurant where all the press people used to have a weekly luncheon just so people would and know who like, he was. What the hell is yeah. this guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was the man put in the work. You cannot yeah. say he didn't put in the work. So that jump didn't go well, as That's you might right. imagine. No. <laughs> 120 yep. feet, crashes, fractures his damn pelvis, gets up, walks, walks <laughs> off the field with a crushed pelvis. Craziness. And then says, I'm done. This is the last time you'll ever see me. Thank you for coming out. Yeah. Bullshit. You know he's coming back. <laughs> then he called him back and said, don't air that. I'm like, dude, that was right. lodge. You can't unair that. Yeah. But yeah, he's like, I'm not retiring. Can we fix it in the edit? Right. No, yeah. we can't. Now, he did have a concussion too. So maybe that was what the concussion was talking at the moment. <laughs> 
He better have a concussion after that. My goodness. Jesus. <laughs> I know. So he actually did just one more big jump, I think, after that. And that was in 75, right, where he did 14 buses um, in mm. Ohio. 133 feet. But that one he made, though, yeah, right? Yeah, he made that one. He made that one, yeah. He made that yeah. one. And then he said, I think that's it. <laughs> I, and that's what I think. Like, he couldn't go off on a loss, oh, no. right? Because for a jump, the loss is not being able to land it. But I remember after he makes a jump and he drives the motorcycle back around, he's like showing him, yeah, look, the seat broke in half. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but this motorcycle kept me alive. Thank you, Harley Davidson. I'm like, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, do they modify his motorcycle at all? I don't know. I, like special shocks or. I don't know. I mean, you, you would, would think somebody would have asked that, but. <laughs> Looking at it, it didn't look modified. I mean, I'm not a motorcycle expert, but it looked like a normal motorcycle. It looked pretty normal, right? It wasn't like cover up sheet metal or anything crazy. Yeah, it was exactly. just a bike. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he had some, uh, some, some extra welds or something, but yep. it was typical. We said he'd been on the wild world of sports, and that was where I first saw him. Or would Me see too. him with my yep. dad. Uh, he was on there seven times. I didn't remember it was that much. Yeah. Five of those are in the 20 top most watched stunts of all time. Like Wild World of Sports segments. They're, wow. Yeah, like, segments. Events, That's yeah. right, yeah. Most popular segments of Wild World. Yep. Mm. Five of those are in the top 20. That's crazy. So a quarter of the top 20 are him. It makes sense. <laughs> what else is as big a spectacle as, yeah, who's going to win? Who's going to lose? Is a guy going to die? I mean, it's that kind <laughs> of like, oh my goodness, I've got to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Succeed or fail, people wanted to see what this man was going to do. He Mm -hmm. demanded an audience. Well, I would take a guess that the one he's most well-known for is the one that we're going to talk about in the next segment, right, Mm -hmm. John? Yeah, I would think, yeah. When we get right back, we alluded to that Snake Canyon jump. We are going to talk all about that when we get back. (laughs) Stick around. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at GenXGrownUp.com. This is Evil Knievel and the Evil Knievel Shock Absorbing Stunt Cycle. You can make them do wheelies, backstands, even midair somersaults. And for that big jump, here's Evil, up and over that four-foot ditch. Evil Knievel sold separately or with the Evil Knievel stunt cycle from Ideal. We have to talk about Snake Canyon. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> we just promised we would. We've got to now. Oh, that's true. That's true. We did promise. <laughs> and we purposely didn't list it with the rest of the stunts because so much was happening. It was so different than anything he ever did before. Mm-hmm. He invested a ton of money himself into that. Mm-hmm. It was to jump the Snake River Canyon, which is 1,400 feet, which he supposedly had a, using air quotes here, rocket cycle. Yeah. But it really was. It was just really a rocket, but still. <laughs> well, but so I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I've been talking shit about the man the whole time. But the one thing that he did that I am going to give him credit for and that I'm impressed with is that he always kept a promise to his fans. If mm-hmm. he said he was going to do a stunt, he's going to do by it. By God, oh, yeah. he's going to do the stunt. Now, he may take you through some sideshow shenanigans, <laughs> right? He may 
do some stuff that we're going to talk about here in Snake Canyon that, you know, not really on the up and up, but by God, he's going to try whatever it was that he promised you. And you're going to, I think you have to give the man credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's all part of the show. He's Mm -hmm. a showman on top of everything else. Yeah. Now, before he did Snake Canyon, he was promising and running his mouth off that he was going to jump the Grand Canyon. (laughs) That was his thing, right? He's going to jump it a mile across. He's going to do it. It turned out that the Department of the Interior would not grant him permission. Not permission to jump the Grand Canyon. They wouldn't give him permission to access the airspace over the Grand Canyon for what he wanted to do. (laughs) What does the airspace over the canyon have to do with anything? I I think that's just a reason to deny him permission. But you can imagine. You can touch down on the right side and you can touch down on the left side. But don't touch the air in between. You can drive around on both sides, but you cannot fly over it. Not allowed. Not permission. So Snake Canyon was his fallback. Well, didn't he buy the whole area? I think he bought the land. He had to to get it. And and I'm assuming the airspace as well, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope so. So, yeah. So, but this was back in September of 74. And his rocket site was steam powered? Yeah, because at the time he had hired a guy who was a rocket designer. And the simplest thing that they could build for the money that he had was steam powered. I mean, could he have built a NASA style rocket that would have flown him over the camera? Yeah, but those things mm-hmm. are super goddamn expensive yeah, you're not with all get the rocket fuel of that. and everything else. <laughs> so steam power water, you know. I mean, when I think of steam powered, though, all I keep thinking about, you know, you have one of those rockets when you're a kid, like you put water in and then you pump them full of air. You pump them up, right? Right. And they fly up. That's what I think of when I think, like, he had just a bigger version of that, essentially. <laughs> well, but it's heated. That's yeah, where the yeah, steam yeah, comes yeah. from. So, but yeah, maybe what you're talking about is air pressured versus yeah, uh, what he was trying with steam. And I don't know which one of those would have been better because <laughs> as we all know now, you know, 40 years later, this was not a good stunt. <laughs> now, it could have worked. I think there's a lot of ways it could have worked. Sure. Just not any of the ways he tried. No. Yeah. <laughs> he, he milked it for all it was worth. Yeah. So ultimately, the attempt took place in September of 1974, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever you're doing research on something like this, I always stumble across who knows what. I came across an album that was released in early 1974 called Evil Knievel. No. Yeah. It's Now, it, it features <laughs> oh a song God. called the Ballad of Evil Knievel, all this stuff. Oh, she had a ballad. <laughs> but, but the interesting thing about this record is that it has several voice tracks. One of them is a press conference with Evil Knievel. So you get to hear mm-hmm. him in his voice, in the date leading up to this. And this album clearly came out just before the attempt. And there is a cut on there that's about 20 minutes long of him talking to a bunch of school children about the huh. things he's afraid of. And, you know, they wow. ask, are you afraid? How many bones you broke? You know, they, it's kids asking questions. Right, right. It's the most kind hearted I've ever heard him be with these kids. One thing is I know he knows he's being recorded, so he's going to be nice. Right. <laughs> but he actually was like being kind to kids about, you know, wear your helmet and right. be brave. Don't be stupid and stuff he like that. He was kind of a PSA guy mm-hmm. when yeah. he was doing stunts. Yep. Like there's plenty of times where he would say you talked about that helmet thing i remember in the movie there was a scene where he says you know to kids evil knievel always wears his helmet and you should too yeah because you know that was kind of always an argument amongst motorcycle riders right i don't want to wear my helmet it makes me feel not free i don't don't know how it makes you feel not free messes up my hair or whatever he knew that people were going to emulate him kids especially so he's like well the least i can do is tell them to be safe if you're gonna do it because they're gonna do it kids are gonna be kids yeah he did a bunch of shady shit to get to do what he wanted to do but when it came to talking with kids, you're right. He seemed to want to hold up 
the American ideal. I think that mm-hmm. was a very important thing for him because he was a devout American in oh, yeah. every sense of that word. He was American. You know, yeah, he, was. He, yep. he loved the country and he wanted to portray good American wholesome ideals to those children. He oh, looked yeah. like an American flag. He, he was yeah, covered really. with red, white, and blue right. stars and stripes. Yeah. Yeah. He took that serious. And this event, I mean, he promoted the crap out of it. I mean, he even hired like a guy who promoted mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali to help with the PR on this. I remember in the movie, he had like the rocket, the prototype he would take around and show people. And he was on different talk shows and all that stuff. Mm. Apparently, you could only have watched it on closed circuit TV. Like early days of pay-per-view. Yeah. 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 That's making their money, I'm sure, that way. Which, yeah. Back then, though, it was like pay-per-view was you had to go to a theater or go some place to see it because they couldn't send it to your homes. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting. It's probably new for back then. As the day approaches that the sun actually comes up, I think that's where you start seeing all the chinks in the armor and all oh, the yeah. issues and, and all pressure. the problems. Well, he was under yeah. pressure for one. And so yeah. any facade he had of kind of that showmanship, yeah. I'm sure he was under pressure to both people investing in him, to the stunt. He knows that, that he could die, obviously, yeah. more so than any other stunt. Set the scene. So he didn't just do this on one day mm-hmm. and a bunch of people showed up that day like people came to the snake river canyon place and stayed there for a long period of time before the stunt ever even yeah, happened right he had test cycles that he would launch and try yeah yeah and he was kind of living in amongst that chaos that whole time this man didn't have security set up right, right right it wasn't like you know if jennifer lopez goes to a concert having 50 you know no neck people walking around her at all times so nobody can really get to her unless she wants you to nope. this guy was just walking amongst all the people that were there and the people that were there, this is right at the end of the sixties and the beginning of the seventies when people were still, you know, let's all go to a field and sing Kumbaya and live mm-hmm. together and do all that. But these were, yeah, that wasn't that crowd. Really. Not <laughs> nice people that would want to go to the field <laughs> yeah, because they did have a contingent of a group that was really mad at him already. The hell's angels were there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, for yeah sure. They rolled into town and caused all kinds of chaos. Mm-hmm. So first of all, like you said, people started attributing that trouble. Mm-hmm. Knievel brought this, problem to town. Right. Which, right. true or false. Uh, he kind of did. Yeah. He was the catalyst for being there. Fair enough. Right. And then with all the stress that was on him, and plus the kind of guy he already was, he did not show him his best self in front of the press. Right. Oh, no. He was curt. Yeah. He was dismissive. He yelled at people. He bit their heads off. Slapped cameramen. Yeah. yeah. Threw them out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. Think about it because he was shrewd, right? He knew that you have to win over the press. Like, that's like the people. And for him to do that, though, that's like, wow, he must have been under some serious stress to like- Yeah. Just blow it with the press. 2021, he gets canceled in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Right. 1974, he still has a way because there's no internet. That's not Mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff gets reported the day after, as you know, when it hits a paper or something like that. And you hear it second and third report. You know, it's not like he went on and tweeted, this guy's an asshole. (laughs) You hear it from somebody, from somebody, from somebody. So you're not attributing it right to him. You're like, yeah. He had to know the impact it would have on his career, but it was too much. It was too much. And none of his team was prepared for this. Like the guy, Mo, you said that he hired that he promoted Ali boxing matches and stuff. That guy had no idea what to expect promoting this event. He didn't understand the people, the culture, motorcycles, any of that. He had no idea. He just knew we're going to have this event and a bunch of press there and he's going to jump this game. And the rest of it was just how can I get more money out of this for our group for our team. Mm-hmm. And that was not the way to look at this event. No, <laughs> definitely not. After all this time, all this showboating, we come to the day. 
right? Mm-hmm. This is the day. The rocket bike cycle thing is on the, like this 100-foot <laughs> ramp. The Wiley Coyote yeah. Acme rocket literally <laughs> oh my God. is on the it, ramp. <laughs> it, it, it looked like a roadrunner skate. You're not kidding. Right. right. The ramp was 10 stories tall. I mean, they were yeah. playing around. They needed okay. lift. So yeah. you guys saw the same ramp I did. Yeah. The angle of that thing was gave me really straight no up. confidence whatsoever it that he was like going to make it across. Straight right. up. I it know. looked like he was going to break <laughs> I orbit and go across a canyon. <laughs> yeah. And John, actually, you were telling me about this. Like He had like a dead man stick, right? He did. Yeah. So he had this lever inside of the rocket. And it was an open canopy, by the way. There was a little yeah. shield, but it wasn't closed. And the idea was, should he pass out, which they thought he might, his hand would come off this switch and it would deploy the parachute. That's how the parachute got deployed. Yeah, because it was essentially just a big spring on the bottom of the handle. If That's he right. let go of the handle, the yep. handle went forward and that deployed the chute. Yep. So here we go. Three, two, one, liftoff. That rocket lifts and you can watch in the footage now, the parachute opened almost the instant the rocket took off. Yeah. Yeah. Like while it was still on the ramp. Yeah, it was yeah, behind, on the ramp, trailing behind the all that steam and everything was this flapping parachute. It was already open. He got up in the air, that thing opened, he went right down to the river. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and... You know, you think, oh, he's got a parachute. Uh, it's still, oh, even yeah. though it's controlled, that's a crash. Right. A horrible crash. Yeah. 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 In fact, they thought he would survive the crash, but the team thought they wouldn't get to him before he drowned. Yeah. Right. If he hit the because river. Because he would get drug under with the parachute right. and with all the, with the heavy weight and everything. They said he might have survived the crash. We think he did, but we can we get to him in time. Well, we're, we're here in the future together, so we know he did not die. He did right. not drown. There's speculation as to what actually happened. Did he pass out? Did his hand slip? Did he decide he couldn't make it and survive and he let the parachute go? Yeah. Who knows? I personally think it was a physiological response because the man was not trained like an astronaut Mm -hmm. would have been trained. He was not trained with centrifuges to be able to withstand Mm G-forces. And that's what would happen on that rocket. I mean, four or five Gs he would have been pulling instantly. I'm 100% confident in saying that that would have likely made him black out and would have made him release. As soon as that rocket hit go, because it goes from zero to whatever five yeah. million miles per hour, whatever the speed was, <laughs> you're, you're going to black out. Yep. But he survived. And I know there's a lot of controversy, too, about, OK, was it like a scam? Was it a lot of people were pissed off? really about because it failed so quickly. I don't yeah. think they were yeah, th- There's almost it. no spectacle for it. It was like a mid-90s right. Tyson fight. You know, it's like right. you, you, exactly. pay, you pay a, down in the first yeah, you pay a hundred bucks for pay-per-view <laughs> and pop, 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 you're down. It's over. What did I pay for? Yeah, right. it was one of those deals. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys a name. So tell me if you know who this is. Eddie Braun. No idea. Sounds like a low life. I have no idea who he is. (laughs) Well, Eddie Braun, to show you how much things have changed, in 2016, he did the Snake River Jump. Really? Yep. In a similar rocket sled thing that Evil Knievel did. Wow. And he made it. He went the entire way across. And nobody knows And how many people care or know who Eddie Braun is. (laughs) He wasn't Evil Knievel. It comes right no. down to it. He wasn't evil can evil. That's, that's kind of crazy. Like the person who actually does it and was like, eh, eh, you know, who cares? That's just five years ago. And you expect that to have made big news, a blip right? somewhere. New- yeah. yeah. Nope. N- nothing. I never even heard nothing. of it. Yep. Sorry, you're not evil can evil. Just goes to show you. What Eddie Braun lacked was the self-promotion that right. Evil Knievel didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. 
Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. After the canyon jump is over, I would like to retire for quite some time. I'd like not to have to live with that lump in my throat and that knot in my stomach like I have for eight solid years. Uh, I'm looking forward to the day that that machine drops down on the other side of that canyon. I'm looking forward to the day that I can get out of it and grab two fistfuls of Idaho dirt. And thank God Almighty I'm still alive. And uh, come back across the other side and go home with my wife and kids and retire for a while. You really nailed it a minute ago, George, when you were just saying the thing that Evil Knievel had, the special sauce, the magnetism was the showmanship, the hustler. He knew how to sell himself and nobody sold himself more in the mid 70s than Evil Knievel. We started seeing lines of <laughs> toys and cartoons and everything based on Evil Knievel that every kid wanted. Yeah, I, well, I sure. would say that without Evil Knievel, I don't know that marketing would have developed the same way the that same it way. did. People want to talk about Star Wars? Fuck Star Wars. <laughs> Evil Knievel yeah. really mm-hmm. was a guy who drove that stuff home. Because Star Wars is a movie about mythical characters and all this crazy stuff. Evil Knievel's one guy jumping shit on a motorcycle. That's right. Just one. <laughs> one everybody case. wanted those damn toys. Yep. Yeah. I wanted the lunchbox. I wanted the stunt cycle. Oh yeah. I wanted a cape around my body <laughs> with the stars and stripes V that he had. Yeah. Well, the ideal mm. toy company starting in 72 released a series of Evil Knievel merchandise. During the six years the toys were made, they say they sold more than $125 million worth I of Evil Knievel toys. That sounds, that sounds right. <laughs> yep. In those days, dollars. I can imagine. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 70s bucks and they had figures mm. all kinds of outfits the ones mm-hmm. george wanted full size but regular for the <laughs> doll outfits he already has those up. it does it, <laughs> 73 was the evil knievel stunt cycle oh my god Ooh. yeah after the release of that they were the best-selling item for ideal toys that damn commercial drove me nuts i never had one to this day i want one if any of our fourth listeners have one send me one I please <laughs> i want one of those i had friends that had it. i never had one myself my friends had one i mean the challenge was just making the damn thing work i mean it kind of was kind of crappy the way it worked but every kid wanted one and for somehow we still had fun i don't know yeah i didn't have one my next door neighbor had one it worked fine as far as i could tell it was built like a little tank too you yeah. put it on that little ramp you crank the hell out of it and then you let it go and yeah, look, so the pegs are going to break off. The steering, you know, handlebars are going to break <laughs> off. But the core of that thing was dense. You could run that thing into a tree and it was going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted amazing. to, I wanted to do the one stunt they had in the commercial where they send him off and he's standing like a headstand on the handlebars. Yeah, and you right. go underneath oh, yeah. a bench and the bench hits his legs and flips him back onto them. <laughs> That's the stunt I wanted to do when I was a kid. Yeah, I think if they had a commercial today, they would say, you know, do not try this or this is not real or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> back then, though, they didn't have to worry Digitally about that. commercial right? may appear much easier than they really are. <laughs> we did 2,000 takes to get that one thing working. Uh, well, after the stunt cycle, during the next 
four years, Ideal put out a lot more stuff, Evil Knievel touring show. Mm-hmm. There was that the, a van you could get and all yeah. kinds of different kits and trailers and stuff. Uh, there was even a Robbie Knievel doll. Yeah, the blue jumpsuit, right? Yeah, the that, blue yeah. one. Was he a kid or was he a full grown adult? He was smaller he like a teenager. than Evil Knievel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. teenager. Yeah, yeah. 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 And a stunt car and the whole Evil Knievel stunt so world, they called the it. Car. All these wow. things. I remember the dragster. Yeah. Yeah, yep. That's the one I remember. Yep. After the cycle, I remember the dragster the most. It was just whatever, right? They started putting out non-Evil Knievel related toys, like a chopper motorcycle and a trail bike and a, a mm-hmm. female counterpart for Evil Knievel called, wait for it, wait for it, Dairy Daring. Oh, Lord. Oh, <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Trying to fit. Yeah. Did they ever do a, like a Snake River rocket toy? They must no, have, right? No, no, nothing I know of. I don't think they no, did the X2. I, I guarantee you he wouldn't have let anybody no. do that one. He was embarrassed by that stunt. So I bet he wouldn't have allowed that because he was yeah. very full of it. Like he didn't want his image hurt by anything. And that stunt went horribly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it did. The last thing that Ideal made in the Evil Knievel line was this Stratocycle that was based on the George Hamilton film, Viva oh, Knievel from oh, that movie. Geez. That was the last thing they put out. <laughs> Oh, geez. Mm. Did you know they had a Saturday morning cartoon, too? I did. I did not know that. Yes. Yeah. I remember that as a kid. Evil had no involvement in it, but it was on ABC (laughs) on Saturday mornings by Hanna-Barbera just for one season in the fall of 74. Yep. Wow. Fun days. I don't remember that at all. (laughs) I guess it didn't do very well, huh? One season. (laughs) One season. Well, everything was a cartoon. If it was popular, it was a cartoon back then. They would throw anything at the wall and see what stuck. There's another one that's worth noting here. Just one more is in 77, Bally put out this Evil Knievel pinball machine. Yes. That's a nice pinball machine, by the way. It is. It's beautiful. They labeled it the first fully electronic commercial game. Really? Yeah. It's one of the last pre-digital games, they say. Yep. Wow. Mm. Yep. Only about 155 made of the electromechanical wow. version. That's going for now. I don't even want to know. But I, I've definitely played it. I've played the one that's probably not as rare. If I had a giant warehouse for an arcade, that's a pinball I would. You'd want have in that it. one. Yeah. Yeah. But that machine came out as I said in 1977, which was pretty much the tail end of his performing career as Evil Knievel. I think 75 was his last big jump. We had talked about a little while ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all of his like promotional things and his agreements were starting to break. Down. I think Ideal wasn't doing stuff anymore with him. I think a lot of it was because of the damage to his reputation. He had, you know, Snake Canyon we talked about. He got in a fight with that one guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not just a fight. I mean, the reporter he got in a fight with, but then his own publicist who had publicized the whole Snake River Canyon thing, he attacked him on a Hollywood set with a damn baseball bat. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because of a book. He had told the guy, you can write a book, and the guy wrote a book, and it was he not like a it. flattering yeah. book yeah. at all. <laughs> Which means it was probably accurate. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he attacked the guy and it was a big media thing so big and drew so much controversy and he even admitted guilt during the trial and went mm-hmm. to jail oh, yeah that, that ideal toil company and all the other people they just left him behind yeah. they just said we can't be associated with this person anymore what was supposed to be his last stunt was supposed to be january 31st and 77 where you mentioned this before he's supposed to jump over sharks literally yeah. he's jumping 90 feet over a tank of 13 sharks mm. and during one of his practice jumps he actually crashed and fractured more stuff and he never did the stunt like scrapped he it. never went back to it and that was pretty much the end at that point he, he just kind of went on a downward spiral mostly all of the bad juju that he had generated over the years with people started to catch up with him uh he was not kind to his family to his mm-hmm. wife he stepped out on her quite a bit oh yeah openly he, he made tons of money and he was ostentatious with his expenditure of money oh, and just geez. He was whatever crazy. furs and diamonds and stuff and, and not necessarily for her no 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 for 
the other women. Well, yeah. And for him. And for him, too. And for himself, yeah. You're right, yeah. He wasn't giving back any, which is a thing that, like, you know, he, he paid lip service. Like, yeah, hey, thank you, Harley-Davidson. Kids wear a helmet. He wasn't going and, you know, teaching kids about bike safety or anything. He was just... Wasn't doing a lot of charity type of work. No, no. nothing yeah. like that. He was really going down a spiral. And just, yeah. yeah, as you said, he just wasn't a good guy. He tried to pull it out of the nosedive toward the end of his life a little bit, though. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, he went around and he, he almost did like the 12-step routine a little mm-hmm. bit, like where he went around to people trying to make amends, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And he would go to his wife, I'm very sorry for all the things I did. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he ended up marrying <laughs> another young lady yeah. later in his life, or I don't know if they got married or she just was with him, but she took care of him throughout his dying days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Robbie, his son, and he had another son too, yeah. as well. They love their father, but yeah. you can tell in interviews that they understood who he was yeah. and they mm-hmm. weren't happy about it for such a large icon of our youth. As we all said, you know, when your kids, that guy, he looked like a superhero. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should ask the question, John, how do we feel about him now that we're adults mm-hmm. based on what we've learned throughout all the research and the documentaries mm-hmm. and the fact digging and checking and whatnot? So, John, I'm going to start with you. What do you how do you feel about this man? now? You know, I didn't have a really firm attachment to him as a kid. I just knew he was this larger than life guy. I always wanted to see what he was going to do. So luckily, he wasn't like an idol that I worshipped and to learn these things about him didn't crush an image that I had to necessarily. Um, I think about him as a more real person now. I think he was a guy who was not mentally equipped to handle the kind of fame that he got, and he just couldn't manage it. I think he was not a good guy in general, but anyone with that kind of money and fame and pressure thrust upon them, I don't know how many people would handle that really, really well, being the single point of failure. It's not like you're on a team. It's not like you're on a squad. You're one guy. Right. And so I I pity him a bit. I I think he had a really, really tough go of it. I admire the things he was able to accomplish. The huckster in him, I respect but also despise because he was really tricking a lot of people to get what he got. But by God, he did it. So I give him credit for that. So I just kind of feel bad for the guy, mostly. Mm. Mo, how about you? Yeah, you know, John, I kind of agree with you. It's like, as an adult, especially now, you look back and you know that everybody's has problems and flaws and all that stuff. Sure. And the thing is, though, I could still admire the guy, flaws and all, because he was a human being. So he obviously had a lot of weaknesses especially with all the money, like you said, and drinking and women and all that stuff that he just kind of went nuts with. But, you know, when it came down to it, I don't think that diminishes what he did accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I guess I kind of talked about like some of the stuff we do here, like with the cancel culture and everything else right now. Does something you learn about the person that's bad discount everything they've done in their life? And in this case, you know, I don't think it does. I think he was a flawed person, but like you said, he was a huckster, but he delivered, right? It wasn't like he was a huckster and, and left town before the, the day of the stunt or something like that. You know, he actually delivered it. Like you said, I think I feel bad for the guy. I think if he was a little better managed or a little bit, you know, he wouldn't be jumping today, but, you know, he'd still maybe be around and talking about it, promoting stuff or things like that. George, what about you? You teed this up for us. So now that you know everything you know, what do you think about him? You know, I... I'm probably going to get a little too personal here since this is a podcast, (laughs) you know, and maybe my family uh, won't uh, appreciate this as much. But I I think I have a bit of a unique perspective on it only because I see way too many similarities between Evil Knievel and my own father. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And so I think I kind of have a little bit of a similar viewpoint that Robbie and his other children might have. 
I love my father. I'm not going to say that I didn't. My father holds a special place in my heart. He's been passed for many years now, but I didn't love who my father was. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I understand. Evil Knievel was um, a very similar profile. He grew up dirt poor, having to scrap and steal and do whatever he had to to survive in Butte, Montana. My father did it in Kentucky. They were very similar people growing up. They had a lot of the same pressures put on them to take care of themselves and the people around them. When that happens to a person, you can do one of two things. You can either go about things the right way or you can go about things the wrong way. And I think both of them chose the wrong way. I think they both accomplished great things. You know, Evil Knievel became this legendary stuntman. My father was a legendary pool hustler, as well as opened up several multi-million dollar businesses with nothing more than a seventh grade education. Mm-hmm. He didn't treat me and my mother well, just like Evil Knievel didn't treat his family or his wife well. Mm-hmm. And yet I still feel that the man supported us in the only way he could, which mm. was by supporting himself first. Mm. And I think that's what evil Knievel was really about. It wasn't that he was an evil person, not to use his name <laughs> in the other sure. context, but right. I think at his core, he did want to take care of his wife, his children, the women that he stepped out with. But the only way he could do that and not break down mentally was by making himself large enough to be able to support them in Mm -hmm. the shadows of his glory. And that's the way I see Evil Knievel. It's the way I see my father. And I think that there's no way to give a clear cut black or white answer. Was he a good guy? Was he a bad guy? Mm -hmm. Because he's really kind of both. He was being the only man he could be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's who he was. That just happened to be superstar, death-defying hero to billions. Stuntman, Evil Knievel. Yeah. Yeah. Or my dad. Either Or your dad. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. That's very touching and personal that you share that with us and our our audience. Yeah. I I knew your dad. I cared very much for him as well. And I see those similarities. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I can see how they can touch you. I don't think there's much more that can be said that is any more poignant than how we just sealed it off there. The great look back at the life and legacy of Evil Knievel. Had a lot of fun doing that with you guys. I hope everyone who wanted to hear it is satisfied now that you've got your (laughs) Evil Knievel fix. We sure enjoyed doing it for you. Before we end the show, I want to take just a quick second anytime there's any new or notable supporters and I want to call out Stew Monkey, a longtime patron who has supported us for years. He paused his Patreon membership a, uh, a few months ago because mm-hmm. he was at ground zero of Hurricane Ida. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm, right. He wrote us and said, no need to do this. He wrote us and said, hey, I'm going to suspend my Patreon. I don't know what's going to happen. Flooding, you know, terrible things are happening. I'm like, dude, take care of do yourself. You no to, problem. Right? Yeah, absolutely. We're here for you. He wrote me just the other day and said, hey, by the way, I'm reinstating my Patreon membership. Things oh, are coming wow. back. We don't have TV and internet at our home yet, but I wanted to get back supporting you guys. <laughs> supporting us before he could even watch us or listen to us. I'm telling you what. He thought we were an essential service to support Gen X Grown Up. I can't tell you how flattering that is. Stu Monkey, we have always appreciated your love and support over here. We hope you and your family and everybody in the region over there are doing well after the hurricane. And thanks again for your your humbling show of support for Gen X Grown Up. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate that. All right, that is going to wind it up for this edition of The Backtrack. We're going to be back in two weeks with another one of course and next week is a regular edition of our show until then i am john george thank you so much for being here man yes sir mo you know i appreciate you always fun man fourth listener though it's you we all appreciate most of all and we will talk to you next time bye-bye see you guys take care everybody no life no fun
Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Unacceptable for grown ups. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Chad uh, listened to that episode and he wrote in to say, I had to burp. Excuse me. <laughs> wow. He wrote, that's not what he said. I wonder why he would tell us that. <laughs> he must have been dictating. <laughs> Transcribed. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. We all did some research uh, for this and fucking. Oh, Alexa. I forgot about that thing. Feed the fish. Wonder what she thought you said. Who knows? No, no. It's a reminder to feed the fish at six o'clock. Oh, uh, gotcha. Oh, now mine heard me say yours. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing, to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!